So one question we get asked quite a lot is how do we fit two people that are completely different body size, shape, uh, even even uh, gender into the same boat, how, like into a double? How would you fit, uh, say, a tall man with a, a short a short woman? And how would you go about rigging the boat? How would you seat it? And so, how would you go about doing that? Well, the the critical question really is you want to try and get the arcs pretty much the same. So. The, where the blade goes into the water and where it comes out, you'd like to have those reasonably similar. As far as where they sit in the boat, then the general premise would be that they'd sit in the boat wherever's comfortable to them and you'd ideally have it so that when they're both sitting at the finish with their arms straight out in front of them, that the, uh, that the blade is perpendicular to the boat as far as the centre point goes. As far as getting the arcs the same, it's a little bit difficult if you've got a very tall person and a rather short person. The easy way to do it is to change the spread of the boat. And so, for example, if you had a tall person, you could change them so that they had uh, a 162 spread, so quite a wide spread, and you'd give them a longer oar to compensate for the gearing level. And for the shorter person, you'd have a narrower spread. I had one Australian crew that I was coaching, uh, under 19 quad, and they had different sized people in the boat. And I had the three man was set on 162, so quite a widespread, and the stroke person was on, on 159, so a reasonably narrow spread. And if you do that, and if you can view the boat from above, which is uh, easy with the drone, but not easy in many other ways, but what you can do is you can find that you get the same arc. Now, the person who's got the wider spread, they're going to need a longer oar in order to get the same gearing, and so you need to do the gearing calculations to make sure you get it right. But essentially, you move the the gates further apart, which means that the, uh, the taller person can then end up with <coughs> a smaller arc than they would otherwise have, and the shorter person, if you move the gates in, they'll have a wider arc, and so you can match the arcs that way. And it's, it's reasonably simple to do. Of course, if you're in a club environment, it can get frustrating if you've got to change the, the spread on the boat every time you take it out. But if you've got the luxury of having one double to use just for your use, then I'd suggest do it that way. The same will apply in a pair, although it's a little bit more problematic in a pair because you've got a person on each side and so you might find you get balance issues and steering issues as a result. But for a double, very easy, change the, change the spread. So basically you're trying to match the arcs up. Yes. Like no matter what the height or size of the athlete, you want to make sure that they're rowing with the same arcs at the same catch angle, yep. similar finish angle. And by doing that, you change the spread to do that. That's it, exactly. And uh, be careful about overdoing it. Uh, it's easy to think that it's going to make a massive difference. And the reality really is that, that if people are rowing well and they're really good athletes, then I'd say, yes, it does make a large difference. But if you've got athletes that aren't getting the blade in correctly at the catch, uh, then it's really not going to be as significant as making a good technique change. As you can imagine, if we make the arc longer, but the blade doesn't actually go into the water at the catch, then we're going to be much, get much faster boat by actually getting the blade in the water. So changing the arc is, is, is useful, but I'd say get the technique right first. So as far as uh, changing boat speed, what percent uh, increase in boat speed would you say is related to changing the arc as opposed to good technique? So what rigging, so what's, what, does, what does rigging account for in the increase in boat speed? Oh, not very much at all. Uh, the, the so maybe like 10 or 20 percent? Oh, 
wouldn't have thought it would be 20 percent no no yeah so so quite low quite low so if you're focusing on uh, making the boat go more quickly you you really want to be looking at technique first and maybe rigging second and only if you've got access to a boat that isn't a club boat um, that you can just set on whatever you want and and forget about it absolutely absolutely the the if so that same goes with oars, I guess. Same goes with, with everything. You can change, fiddle with technique, fiddle with rigging and gear as much as you like, but the, the real change is going to be putting the blade in at the catch and getting connected and then putting the, applying the power evenly through the stroke to the finish and having a full stroke and then letting the boat run and don't destroy the run of the boat. If you get that, that's probably 70, 80% of rowing, the rest of it. Small changes, they might make you a bit more comfortable, they might make the boat a little bit faster, but generally uh, get the blade in the water at the beginning of the stroke, apply the power evenly and let the boat run. And that's largely what rowing's about. When it comes to a new crew, or even, even a, an, an older crew uh, coming together, uh, the, the hardest thing often is uh, getting a crew to click. So getting them all in time, getting them doing the same things, and uh, once they do that, the boat feels nice, it goes faster, and everything's better. How would you go about making a crew click like that? Like, how would you go about doing that? Uh, it, it depends how much time you've got. The easiest thing, in my experience, is to get them to feel the boat and, and probably slow the stroke down, so slow the recovery down. The, the issue about timing is, is mostly about people um, moving in different ways in the boat. So, so if they're coming into the front, coming into the catch faster, then that's going to help destroy the run of the boat. If they're all moving together, then clearly you're going to get a, a, a better boat. You'll find that the feel is better if the crew take more time on the recovery. And so I'd suggest if they take more time on the recovery, I'd do some pauses uh, during the recovery to make sure that they are, have actually got their bodies in the right positions that, at the same time for each of them, so they're all together in their body positions, and then try and get the catch together. If you get the catch together and they, when they finish the stroke, they have time on the recovery to allow them essentially to make sure they are together, then you'll find you get a better feeling boat. Where the damage comes mostly is when you've got someone who's coming down the slide a lot harder than the others, and you'll find you'll feel the boat different. Uh, the experience of the crew makes a lot of difference. If you've got a beginner crew that don't have a lot of experience, then they won't really notice it. And at all. So they won't know what it feels like to, to have a, no. a crew that clicks and rows well no. together. No. So they won't know what feeling they're trying to get. So it's, it's harder it's for them harder to, to understand it. Understand and, the concept. And you'll find that the feeling is generally better if they row at a slow rating. If they're rowing at a high rating, then it always feels rushed and busy and it's hard to get it together. So if you find that you can get them to row at a slow rating, and by that I don't mean low power, I really mean time on the recovery, then you'll find you get a better feeling boat because they get to feel that sensation of run. If they get to feel the sensation of the boat going by itself, i.e. they're just sitting there letting the boat flow underneath them, then they, they get to understand what a good rowing stroke feels like and then only gradually take the rating up. The big danger in putting crews together is to start off and start racing and start at a high rate because it's really hard to get together. If you haven't got it together at a low rate, then you're probably unlikely to get it together at a high rate. 
And when you take the rating up, only do it slowly. So don't, for example, start off with a crew that's only just been put together and go for a paddle at rating 20 for a little while and then all of a sudden try and take them up to 30 because it's highly unlikely to work. If you row at 20 and it's good at 20 and it feels good and it's running well and the power's on, then take it to 22. And as soon as the boat feels bad and the run disappears, then say at 26 and I'll take it back to 24 and get it right at 24 and then gradually creep it up. You find you get a much quicker, you get the crew much more quickly to race pace if you do it slowly like that rather than trying to practice at race pace. So if you start off practicing at rate 30, then it may take, may never get together as a crew. But if you start off at a lower pace and then get them to do that correctly, then you've got a much better outcome. For me, I think the biggest difference, as uh, you said, there were some exercises you could do to get the crew in time on the recovery. Mm. And I, I agree, I think that's 100% where a crew comes together uh, when you get the click. Uh, I found the most useful exercise is the hands away body over pause. Because by that stage, all you have to do if your body's set in the right position is come forward to the catch. And I found that the crew really clicks, feels like it clicks once you've got the hands away body over movement in sync, everyone's doing it the same. That's when the boat really sits up, runs out underneath you, and you feel like you're getting a lot of length, uh, a lot of distance between strokes, and making the most of that boat run. Uh, the, you can do the pauses at the finish too, so hands away, sort of pause, but I found that it's once you get that body over, and the weight's sort of just back onto the toes a little bit, not, not a huge amount, but you can just sort of feel them, that's when the boat really sits up and runs, and if you can replicate that, when you're doing continuous rowing, that's uh, that's when you really feel the boat, you know, getting good length between strokes, and uh, you know, makes it a lot better, um, and everyone everyone feels in sync. No doubt, no doubt. And you'll find too that uh, when you put a, a crew together, let's pick a, a quad for example, then the balance won't be good. It won't be what you want. And so rather than persevering right from the start with the balance. Um, all over the show because that's uncomfortable for everyone and it's really hard for them to get their technique right. I suggest have the bow person sit out <coughs> and balance the boat and then have everyone else um, practice pausing, practice a good recovery, practice coming into the catch without that unbalanced feeling so they can get a really good crisp connected catch. And then once you've done it with the, the stern three, then I'd suggest have the stroke person sit out and have the, the bow three do it. The concept is it's much easier to get together on a stable platform than it is if it's rocking around. And so if you do that for a while and have one person sit out and keep the boat always balanced, then you'll find you much likely to get the crew together earlier. So I'd say practice like that. If you're in an eight, of course, then I'd have two people sit out in order to balance the boat. But a balanced platform is critical to getting a comfortable boat. Another good way to do that if you've got, uh, got calm, flat conditions is to do John Dreesen's lazy feather exercise. So at, you get all the crew rowing, continuous rowing, but the finish, instead of tapping down like that, you just let the, the blade, you just tap it out a little bit and then the blade feathers and you run it straight along the water. So instead of having it tap out, you sort of tap out, rolls out, flicks over by itself, runs along the water, and then the boat's completely balanced because everyone's got their blades flat on the water. Then at the catch, all you do is square up and put it in. You don't bring it up and put it in. It's, you're really just trying to keep that blade on the water. It really gives people a good sense of where the boat will sit when it's balanced, and it allows you to get that balanced feeling without having to drop a couple of people out 
and it can be really useful, especially in, in a four or uh, on a cold morning where you don't really want people not rowing. The different topic, uh, I'd like to talk about bend in the oar. When should you get a bend in the oar? And the answer really is as soon as the blade's in the water. So if you, you see, uh, it's the easiest thing to look for if you're outside of the boat, or indeed in the coxswain seat, you can see it as well, that if you can't see a bend in the oar, then there's no power being applied. Yeah, it's, so it means you haven't got connected. You're not connected. So the oar might be in the water, but you're not doing any work to make the boat go any yeah. faster. If, if, if the oar's not bent, then there's essentially no work going on. And so you want to get the oar bent uh, as, as early as you can. And if the blade's going in on an angle, then you're unlikely to get a, a bend in the oar. If the blade goes in, connected, and the power's applied, then you'll get a bend almost immediately. So when you're looking at a crew that's rowing and you want to find out whether they're getting their catch connected well, just have a look at the oar and see if you can see a bend. If there's no bend when the blade's in the water, they're not connected. And so it's important to get connected very early. So I think the, often people don't really look for the bend in the oar. Two easy ways to see the bend in the oar. The uh, easiest way is looking from the stern. So you're following behind the boat and you can see down the shaft and you'll see a bend in the oar. The best place to see it, but it's a difficult angle to, to video or to look at, is if you can see it from the front. So if you can see the blade go in and look down the shaft from the blade to the boat, then it's very easy to see a bend in the oar. But critically, if you've got a crew that are rowing along and you just move the speedboat, if that's what you're coaching from, uh, a little bit more towards the bow, you'll be able to see whether there's a bend in the oar or not. And if there's no bend in the oar, there's no power. Very simple. And it's very easy to see. Uh, it's, it's often hard to gauge someone's performance in the boat, so if they're actually pulling or doing anything uh, to make the boat faster, say in an eight. And one of the best ways, if you've all got the same oars, is to check check those oars. The, you know, the ideal way is probably to have a, a real-time uh, readout of their heart rates uh, and know what, what each one should be. But a good proxy to see if they're actually making the boat move any faster with their effort is that bend in the oar at the catch. And, uh, and you can really get a good feeling for who's doing some work and who's not. And also, the Sometimes you get people talking about looking at the puddle and saying, well, what's the puddle look like? Yeah. You can tell from the puddle, but it's much easier to tell from the oar. Well, it's, it's also hard to tell from the puddle as well because uh, when you're rowing along, you can put the blade really deep. If, you put, if you're someone who puts the blade really deep and pulls and taps out really cleanly and doesn't sort of drag the blade out at the finish, your puddle will be really small, really compact, but you could be the one doing the most work. Whereas, uh, you know, especially when we're doing school rowing, you often see people with these massive puddles that are just washed out. And that's because they're not getting the blade under the water. They're catching a lot of air during the rowing stroke. And they're probably scooping it out at the finish, dropping their hands down like this and just shoving water up in the air. So when you're looking at the puddles, you have to know exactly what you're looking for because someone who's not doing much work can masquerade as someone, you know, with a big puddle, i.e. doing lots of work. And so a much more reliable indicator is oh. what they're doing with the oar yeah. and, and what their heart rate's doing Absolutely. as well. It's got a, a high heart rate by itself doesn't necessarily mean that they're putting the power into the water. It's an indicator that they are, but if you've got a high heart rate and you've got a bend in the oar every time, then you know that there's some power going into that oar, which is therefore going into the boat, which is therefore moving the boat. So if it's about moving the boat, bend in the oar and exertion level. And if you've got both of those, then you've got 
80% of the way, if not more. So, but often you'll find that, that the bend in the oar is a particularly good indicator of being connected. And uh, you'll find that sometimes the bend in the oar doesn't appear until the oar's about halfway through the stroke. If that's the case, they're not connected early enough. Some athletes, you can see the blade go in and you can see it bend straight away. And that's what you're aiming for. Oars in, bent. And what it means too, of course, is that the catch feels heavy. Yep. But a catch should feel heavy because... If you're connected. If you're connected. If you're not connected, it'll feel light. Yep. And it might feel nice to have a light catch, but rest assured you're not doing any effort. That's it. You're not, you're not contributing to the boat at that point. So an early, heavy, bent oar, that's what you want. Yeah. And a lot of it's about the speed at the catch as well. It's not just getting the blade in and putting the power on. It's about moving the legs quickly like that. The very, the very first part, taking up the slack. So if you, if, you, if you push your legs down solidly, but do it really slowly, you won't move it quick enough to put a bend in the oar. You have to get quick legs, get engaged, load up, and then that's when the bend will happen. And the quicker you can do that, that process, blade in, legs on, load on, is the more effort, the more work you'll do for the boat, and the more bend you'll get in the oar. As Lyle McCarthy told, he said, fast legs is that. It's just that first little bit. And so you put the blade in and you're on. And if you can do that and do that well, then you're almost guaranteed to have a fast boat. Yeah. So the first bit, because you're, you're still, you're getting the blade in the water and you're pushing the seat backwards, there's actually no load at that point. So your legs aren't actually got any load on them. You just have to get really quick, the really quick uh, jump just to get it engaged. Mm -hmm and then the bend happens. You'll see a lot of athletes where if you watch them, you'll be able to see the bend in the oar happens after their slide's already moved about that far. Now, if that's the case, then they're not getting connected well enough on that catch. And so you've got to sharpen that catch up and get it in quicker, get it in deep, and, and get that initial connection with the, with the legs to get engaged. Bear in mind, as the blade goes into the water, the boat's moving, so the blade has to move a little bit as you go into the water. And so the concept is that if your legs are like this, is you put the blade in and then you move a little gently like that whilst the blade gets connected, gets under the water, and then you connect it. So it's about precise timing of those two movements at the catch is what gives you a good catch. So a lot of people worry uh, at the catch, say so your blade's all the way around, your hands are all the way around, it's really heavy, that because they don't, a lot of people think that if you apply power at this point, uh, you're wasting it because you're pinching the boat. So the oars are right around, they're pinching the boat. This actually isn't true. And uh, Valerie Krezhnev has, has uh, written quite a, quite a lot about this. All the effort that you put into the oar at that point gets stored as potential energy in the oar. So when you come to, through to the square off, so when the blade's perpendicular to the boat, a lot of that energy is then released at the most efficient part of the rowing stroke and you get, get that energy back. So it's not wasted energy if you put it in at the catch. And uh, yeah, so just important to keep that in mind. At Decent Rowing, our goal is to get world-class rowing information into the hands of everyone. One of the easiest ways to do that is through our email list. We send out tips and tricks on rowing on a regular basis. If you want, you can sign up. As a sign-up bonus, you get 21 of our best rowing videos, including beginner and advanced rowing videos. We've also chucked in a couple of basic training programs and a training piece. So if you want to sign up, you can see what it's all about.